Well, whether you're ready for the holiday season or not, it's here. I mean, you can see it everywhere you go, whether you're at the mall shopping and you see Santa's big old castle, or whether you're driving at night out, outside and you see all the houses lit up with Christmas lights, or whether you're in your own living room, just enjoying the beauty of the glistening lights on your Christmas tree, the stockings hung over the fireplace. The holidays are here. And what's interesting is there's this constant theme through every Christmas for all of us. It's that we have to make room for certain things. In fact, you, you, you know this to be true and you're gearing up to do this. During the holiday season, we have to make room in our living room. We have to shift our sectional or our couch to make room for that Christmas tree. We have to make room for all the family that's going to come and visit us. We're blowing up air mattresses and we're moving dining room tables to make room for all the people who are going to visit. Some of us are hanging on ladders, making room in our gutters for the icicle lights that are going to hang on our house. And that's true about Christmas is we're making room, we're shifting things so there is room. And sometimes you make room for things that aren't even wanted in your Christmas you see, about three years ago, my wife and I, we were gearing up to decorate for Christmas. And yes, I'll just admit it up front, we are that couple that decorates around mid-November for Christmas. We cheat on Thanksgiving, guilty as charged. And we set around three Christmas trees up in our house. We love Christmas, and a lot of times they're fake trees. But about three years ago, I looked at my wife and I just said, you know, babe, I grew up with a real tree every single year. What, what do you think about this year? I get one, at least one real tree. And so she looked at me and she said, hey, that's fine as long as you promise me that you'll do everything with it. You will water it. You'll set it up. I don't have to worry about it at all. And before she could change her mind, I jumped in my truck and I headed to find a Christmas tree. The problem was, is it was a week before Thanksgiving. And not many people had Christmas trees out at this point, but guess who did? Home Depot. Praise the Lord for Home Depot. Guys, can I get an amen? amen? So I went to Home Depot, and they had this tent out, and it had lights around it, and I walked in, and the moment you stepped into this tent, you could just smell Christmas. That pine smell, those Christmas trees, it was magical. And so I, so I went on this pursuit for our Christmas tree, and then I found her. She was beautiful. She had this big old base. She was skinny at the top. I was like, that's her. And so we threw her in the net, and they netted her up, and I threw her in my truck, and I was drinking some hot chocolate or coffee, and I was jingling and jangling all the way home singing Christmas carols, because this was my daughter's first ever real Christmas tree. This was a moment in the Karstner household. I was so excited. I dragged that tree into the house. Joelle and I are jumping up and down. I, I set it in the corner, and I began to cut the net, and it unfolds, and it's like the angels were singing. It was like, la. And so we're, as a family, kind of like just, just looking at our Christmas tree. It's magical. It's beautiful. But then all of a sudden, my wife is like, Drew, what's that? I'm thinking, oh, here comes Scrooge. Tell me what's wrong. I picked the wrong tree. Before I know, before I know it, I lean down and I look at what she's saying, and there's this large snakeskin in the middle of our Christmas tree. And there's something you got to know about me is I don't do snakes. 
I don't like snakes. If ever Ashley and I were on a journey or a walk outside and we saw a snake, I'd push her towards the snake and run and scream like a little girl. That's just who I am. I do not, I'm, I'm most afraid of life, of snakes. And so what became this, what was this magical moment is now my wife and I standing in the corner, like, what are we going to do? And Ashley's like, oh, I know what you're going to do, Drew. <laughs> you're going to get rid of that tree in my house. And so I did what every macho man did, would do. I put on like 14 pairs of sweatpants. I put... 15 outfits on. I had goggles, gloves, and a hat, and I grabbed that Christmas tree. I said, Ashley, open the door, and I grabbed it, and I ran, and I threw it in the garage. <laughs> problem solved, right? The problem was is I love Christmas, and I really wanted that real tree in our house. So I had to solve a problem, so I did what every normal citizen would do. I Googled it. How do you get rid of snake from Christmas tree? And you'd be ama amazed at how many people have dealt with the same thing I was dealing with. <laughs> Hashtag the struggle is real. <laughs> so the first thing I did was I dragged the Christmas tree out into our driveway. I fired up my pressure washer and I told that snake in the name of Jesus, you will leave my tree. <laughs> but then I read on Google that if you would plug a heating pad in your garage and set it next to your your tree that snakes love heat, and if there was a snake in your tree, it would come out and sit on the heating pad. And I was like, man, Google's amazing. So I plugged my heating pad in, and I left the tree all night by that heating pad. I got there the next morning, and there was no snake. Praise the Lord, we made room for our Christmas tree. We set it back up. Problem solved. But Christmas is all about making room. In fact, we're starting a series today called Making Room, where for the next four weeks, we're looking at some of the characters in the first Christmas that we don't know a lot about. But what's interesting is as you study their story, you will find that the same choice that we have today, they had to make in the first Christmas, is were they going to make room for what Christmas was really ultimately about? In fact, I want to give you a summary of what this series is all about, and I want us to understand what we make room for in our Christmas will ultimately define our Christmas. What we allow and what we indulge in during the holiday season really defines what we believe Christmas truly is. What we make room for will define our Christmas, and that's what the next four weeks are about. And for the first character we're going to look at today is the stepfather of Jesus, his name is Joseph. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, you can go there in your iPad, your iPhone, you can use the Northridge app. If you need a Bible, we'd love to provide one for you. It's going to be on page 783. If you're new to church, you can just look at the screens. The verses, all of them will be up on the screens. And as you're making your way to Matthew chapter 1, I just want to welcome you to Northridge Church. Yeah, you know, thank you for being here. I know a lot of you are family members of the children that were dedicated. Thank you for being here, supporting your children, or your friends, or your family. What a great day in the life of Northridge Church. And so thank you for being here. I want to welcome all of our campuses, those of you who are with us online, or you're going to watch this in a podcast later. Thanks for hanging out with us. We're honored to have you here this morning. And the first character of the Christmas story that we're going to look at is a main character, but he's the least probably known main character of the first Christmas. His name is Joseph. And before we dive into his story, I kind of want to set the scene. I want you to understand a little bit more about who Joseph was before we dive into his story. The first thing I want you to understand is what Joseph did. 
Joseph was a carpenter. We find this out in Matthew 13, verse 55. It says, referring to Jesus, isn't this the carpenter's son? Now, when we hear that word carpenter, we have an assumption in our culture today. And it's a little bit different in this culture. You see, a carpenter in our day and age is someone who builds things with wood, houses. But in this culture, a carpenter probably would have been more like a stonemason. Because in Israel, they didn't have a lot of access to wood. They would use stone. And most men in this culture would build their houses from the ground up. It was just norm. You didn't hire someone to build your house. They all did it for themselves. And so for Joseph to be referred as a carpenter meant he was highly skilled. He had a, a skill level higher than the average man. We also can assume that Joseph was around the age of 30 to 40 years old. We know this because when we pick up his story, we find out that he's engaged to a woman named Mary. And in this culture, in order to be engaged as a man, you had to be established. You had to have a job that you could provide for your family. And oftentimes, you would have to pay a dowry to purchase your, to your father-in-law to purchase your future bride. So Joseph is around, the, he's a carpenter, he's around the age of 30 to 40 years old. And the last thing we know is he wasn't really that rich. He was probably a poor man. We know this from Luke chapter 2. It says this, when they came to offer a purification sacrifice in the temple, it says, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. Now, we know Joseph was poor based on what he offered as a sacrifice. The rich would offer a lamb and a pigeon or a dove. A poor person would offer two pigeons or two doves. And so we find that Joseph isn't part of the higher class. He's actually part of the lower class. He's a carpenter. He's around 30 to 40 years old. And he's really not that wealthy. And I want to give you the punchline of his story before we jump into it. Joseph's story tells us that God can use the devastating to lead us to our destination. God can use the terrible in our lives, the, the unpredictable, the, the things that we don't plan for, that crush us, that change our reality, to move us to a destination. And we're going to find that to be true in Joseph's story. We pick it up in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says this. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And so we pick up Joseph's story at a, at a season of anticipation. Joseph is excited. I mean, he's getting ready to get married to the girl he's been waiting to marry. In fact, her name was Mary. See what I did there? But, I mean, you, you jump into this story and you can almost imagine they're, they're gearing up. They're anticipating a wedding. They've waited. Joseph has worked very hard to establish, establish himself as a man to get to this point in his life. He's excited. They're making all the final details of the wedding. So they're anticipating. But life changes really fast. Just a couple words changed the excitement in the air when Mary looked at Joseph and she said, I'm pregnant. Joseph, I'm pregnant. But don't worry, Joseph. It's God's baby. Right, Mary. I mean, can you imagine 
how Joseph must have felt in that moment. He's anticipating getting married to the woman of his dreams, and now she informs him, hey, I'm pregnant, and it's not your kid. I wonder what Joseph said in that moment. How could you, Mary? I mean, we were in love. You told me you loved me, and then you do this? Mary, we were supposed to get married. Like, what is going on? Why would you do this to us right now? Emotions traveling through Joseph's head. And I think a lot of us, we can relate to this story because we've been there. Maybe it wasn't an unplanned pregnancy, but life just kind of went haywire. You didn't expect it. You didn't plan for it. But your life was turned upside down. Doesn't life have a funny way of doing that? Life has a funny way of turning upside down in a moment's notice. And we've experienced this in life. I think all of us probably have. If we haven't, we will. That we don't plan for these events, these circumstances to take place in our life, but somehow they just happen. And we're not ready for them. We think they would never happen to us, but here we are. And Joseph is living that reality. He was planning for a wedding day, and he got a bride who was pregnant without his kid. So now he's got to figure out, what the heck do I do? Story continues, verse 19. It says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. And so we see Joseph's mind is churning. He's trying to figure out what to do. But it's interesting in the text, it calls Joseph her husband, and it says the word divorce. Now, we don't understand that. Like, why would Joseph divorce her? They're not even married. Why wouldn't he just leave her be? But you have to understand, in this culture, an engagement was as strong as a marriage is today. It was a commitment, a binding contract, that in order to break up an engagement in this culture, you needed a legal divorce. And so those are why those terms are used. And I love this part of the story because you get a glimpse into what kind of man Joseph was. Remember, he's dealing with all the emotions of the story, all the emotions of the news he just heard. And it says, yet he was still faithful to the law. As he's trying to figure out what to do, Joseph goes first to God's word, to the Old Testament, to the Mosaic law. He says, I know I'm hurting, but God's word comes first. So you see his faithfulness, his righteousness, the type of man he was, but you also see that he loves Mary. You see his love for his future bride because he didn't want to expose her publicly. He didn't want to make a big deal of it. Why? Why why wouldn't Joseph just say, hey, Mary, I'm done with you. I'm walking away from you. Make it a public thing. Because he knew what would happen to Mary. In fact, Deuteronomy 22, verse 22 says this. It says, if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. So Joseph knew if he went public with this, it meant Mary's life. It meant his future bride would be dead. So you get a glimpse of what kind of man Joseph is, and it's amazing to me because I find myself so guilty in life. When something devastating happens to me and it shakes my reality, oftentimes I make decisions not based on what God's word says, but based on what I'm feeling in that moment. And you don't see that ever in Joseph's mind. You don't see in the text, Joseph is like, I'm angry and I'm hurt, and so I'm going to shove it to Mary. 
You don't see that. You say Joseph ran every decision, even though he was hurt, even though he was enduring pain and the struggle of his circumstances. It says, hey, I'm going to make a decision based on God's word and what he's calling me to be and the man he wants me to be. And I think sometimes our emotions often prevent us from making biblical decisions. We get so caught up in the lens of how we feel, it leads us to poor decisions. And I think our emotions often prevent us from making biblical decisions. But Joseph wasn't that man. He said, hey, I, I know I'm hurting. I know I'm dealing with the pain of my circumstances, but I'll remain faithful to who God is and what he's called me to. And so he tries to figure out what to do, but God intervenes before he makes a decision. Verse 20, it says, but after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So just as Joseph has made up his mind, he falls asleep, he's in this dream, and an angel comes to him and says, Joseph, hold on a second. What Mary tells you is true. She hasn't betrayed you. She hasn't left you for another man. She's been faithful to you. And what she says is true. This baby is of God. And I've read this story probably a, more than 100 times. My dad read me this story before I could open presents every single Christmas. And I never thought this question until I was studying this week. I don't know why it never crossed my mind. But I sat there and I thought, God, why wouldn't you just... Go to Mary and Joseph at the same time. Like, it just makes a whole lot more sense. My logical mind says, God, this, the, the way you did it is backwards. You could have you saved Joseph a lot of heartache. You could have saved Mary a lot of tough conversations. If you would have just said, okay, let's talk to both of them at the exact same time. Hey, guys, here's the plan. And I think some of us, we have that conversation with God in our own lives. Like, God, why did you do it this way? Why are, you, why are you unfolding your plans this way? And this is a story where I'm like, we could have saved a whole lot of heartache and a whole lot of hard conversations, God, if you just would have told both of them at the exact same time. And we wonder, why does God work the way he does? Why does he do things the way he does? And I think in this story, we see that God doesn't always want to pull us out of our circumstances, but he wants to provide for us in those circumstances. And you see this beautiful picture that some of us as, as followers of Christ, we don't want to experience any drama in our life. We don't want to go through any hard times in our life. We want God to keep us safe and protect us. And I think sometimes God puts us in hard circumstances to show us that even when the greatest storm comes, he's faithful to provide for you when it comes. That in the midst of the hard times and the terrible times in life, God will be your provider right there. And he does that for Joseph. Just when Joseph was about ready to walk away from Mary, he intervenes. And the angel continues, verse 21. It says, she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now the angel gives some give some instructions here that are really significant. Because I think we miss this sometimes. The angel looked at Joseph, the soon-to-be father of Jesus. And he says these words. He says, Joseph, you are going to give Jesus his name. You, Joseph, are, when the baby comes, when Jesus comes, I want you, Joseph, to give him his name. Why? 
Now, I think oftentimes we just read through that and we, we miss the significance here. But what was taking place is when Jesus was born and Joseph gave Jesus his name, what he was saying as his father is, I'm adopting you into my family. I'm making you my son. I'm making you an heir to all I have. When, Jesus, when Joseph gave Jesus his name, he said, you are now part of my family. You are part of my bloodline. In fact, if you read Matthew chapter 1, it's not the most exciting passage. The beginning, it, it traces the lineage of Jesus. And it traces it through his stepfather, Joseph. But Jesus didn't carry the blood of Joseph, but he did when he gave him his name. He adopted him. And this is a beautiful foreshadowing of what Jesus came to do for us. We were separated from God, but yet the blood of Jesus Christ makes it so. If we believe in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we make Christ the leader of our life and the forgiver of our sins. He adopts us into his family. He makes us heirs to all that he has. The kingdom of God, we are heirs if we believe in the Son of God. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 says this. It says, now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we also may share in his glory. And right here is the pinnacle of the story. Right here is the moment where Joseph has to choose. And it's the pinnacle of our story. When things go haywire in our lives, when the unpredictable happens, this is the pinnacle moment. Joseph has all the information. He, the angel has come, and hey, here's the information. Mary didn't cheat on you. Mary's been faithful to you, and Jesus is the Son of God is coming through your future bride. And right here, Joseph has to choose. Will I make room for this baby? Will I make room for obedience in my life for what God is calling me to? And that's a choice that we all face. Not just in the Christmas season, but every day. Will I make room for more of Christ in my life when he calls me to do something? And look how Joseph responds. Verse 24, I love this. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. I love this. Because we forget Joseph is in a dream right now. All that information we just read, it was in a dream. And the moment Joseph opens his eyes, he acts on what God called him to do. What would my life look like if I had that type of obedience? What would your life look like if you had that type of obedience? When God called you to something, you didn't stick around and wait and be like, okay, God, I got to understand all this. I gotta wrap my head around all this. I gotta pray about this, God. You know what, God? I need to make a list of pros and cons. I mean, Joseph doesn't do any of those things. He's not like, okay, Jesus will add value here in my life, but Jesus will be an in, he'll be a problem here. And Joseph doesn't do anything. He says, Yes, God. Yes, God. You say it, yes, God, I'm in it. And I think sometimes as Christians, we're so guilty of God calls us to something and we try to figure it out. We try to wrap our head around it. We make a list of pros and cons. We pray about it for like three years. And God's like, I already asked someone else to do it. You missed your opportunity. The moment Joseph woke up, the, literally his eyes opened and he started acting on what God called him to do. And man, I pray that my life gets to that point where no matter what God asks me, yeah, there's no pause. Okay, God, 
And here's what we see. That first step of obedience leads to a pattern, a lifestyle of obedience. That first step, this is Joseph's first step to saying yes to God. And I think some of us are right at that moment where we got to say yes to Jesus for the first time. Because God has been pursuing you. You've been trying to avoid it. You've been trying to, to, to push him away, but he's been pursuing you. He's been speaking to you, and you're hesitant about this whole Jesus in church thing. But maybe today you take that first step and you say, you know what? If a God was willing to give up his one and only son to die for me, that type of love, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to make him the savior, the leader of my life. Maybe that's your first step today, your first step of obedience. Or maybe today it's to serve in the local church. Maybe today it's to go public with that faith. I know you're afraid of making a video or standing up in front of people, but maybe it's just a yes to God, yes. Maybe it's to give financially. Yes, God, that's going to stretch me, and I'm not sure about it, but yes, God. Maybe it's to serve outside in the city of Rochester with homeless people, or maybe it's to jump into the foster care system and love a child who needs love right now. Yes, God. And what's interesting in Joseph's life is the first yes led to a pattern in his life, because this wasn't the last time an angel would come to him in a dream and ask him for something. In fact, check this out, Matthew chapter 2, it says this, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Sound familiar, doesn't it? It says, get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. And here's what Joseph does. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. Here you see this pattern forming. Yes, God. Yes, I'll go, God. But this wasn't the last time. Matthew 2, 19, it says, After Herod died, again, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. Man, Joseph had a good dream life. <laughs> Here's what the angel said. It said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. And those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. Here's what Joseph does. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. And here you see this pattern, this lifestyle forming, and it started with just yes the first time, but it led to a godly man who said to God, hey, whatever you say, I'll do. And it starts just with that first step. And we have to understand that our obedience makes room for more of Jesus in our lives. Our obedience, our yes to God makes room. It puts us in a posture, our hearts and our minds and our souls in this posture to, to have more of Christ in our life. And isn't that what we want as Christians, as followers of Christ? Isn't that what we desire is more of Jesus? But do we really want that? I think that's the question. I mean, we sing about it every Sunday. God, I want more of you in my life. But do you really I mean, really, do you want more of God? Because more of God means more sacrifice for you. More of Jesus. When you open your heart and your soul and your mind for more of Jesus, it means you're going to have to sacrifice more of you because in order to make room for Jesus, you've got to get rid of some of you. And do we really want to do that? I mean, we, we say we do, but do we really? We really want to get rid of us for Jesus? When we say yes to him, it, it puts us in this posture where we create space for Jesus to have his way in our life. But here's the thing about Joseph's story, is I think all of us, we can relate to it. Because we felt the sting of something in our life that we didn't plan for. And it happened and it changed our reality. 
something devastating that happened in our life that turned it completely upside down. And maybe it's today for you, or maybe it's in your past, or maybe it's tomorrow or the next day. Because maybe it's you who are dealing with broken relationships. You see, the holiday season is a time where a lot of family gets together, but for a lot of us it reminds us of the relationships we used to have with our brother, our mother, our sister, family, friends, that we used to get together and we never thought those relationships would be broken, but now we don't speak and the holidays just remind us of that. Maybe it's you today who you've been in a marriage for 17 years and the first 16 years were awesome and you could never see anything changing, but then all of a sudden something changed and now you're hanging on by a thread. Maybe today it's the loss of someone you loved. You didn't think it would ever happen. That person was supposed to walk you down the aisle, supposed to be there through the rest of your life, was supposed to hang out with you, but now they're gone. You didn't expect it. You didn't know it was going to come, but it changed your reality. Maybe you're failing at school, college, high school, or middle school. And you got good grades up to this point, but it's getting harder and you don't know what to do. You'd never expect this to happen, but you find yourself here. Maybe it's your kids. You did everything you could to raise them up and who God is and build their foundation on them, but yet they've chosen to walk away and it's crushing your reality. Maybe today you're lonely because you did lose somebody that you needed and they're no longer there. Maybe today you're single, and you thought you would have met Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright, and you thought you'd have this beautiful Christmas where you sip coffee and you tell each other how much you love each other, but that hasn't happened. You see, I think we all can relate to Joseph's story because at one point or another in our lives, life has flipped upside down, and it's crushed us. It's changed our life as we know it. And the question is, is how did Joseph deal with it? How did Joseph manage this tension? And the truth is, is if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God offers you a promise in the crazy. And if you don't know Christ, this is one of the best benefits of knowing Jesus and placing your faith and trust in Jesus is when the storm comes and it gets big and it roars, God offers you a promise. It's found in Philippians chapter 4. It says this, it says, don't be anxious about anything. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I read that line and I'm like, yeah, right, God. Seriously? Don't be anxious about your marriage. Don't be anxious that you lost your job. Don't be anxious about your kids. Don't be anxious about your future. Don't be anxious about your school. I mean, the list goes on and on, and, and that just seems impossible. But here's why. Jesus says, but in every situation... By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And so here's what God is saying. Don't be anxious. Bring it to me. Don't be anxious about what you're dealing with and what's, what you're struggling with. Take it to me who can handle it. And here's his promise to you. He says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace. When the storm is raging and the wind is blowing and life flips upside down, somehow God promises you in the midst of all that, peace. 
It's a promise that as you walk through the storm, no one else around you will get it, but you will. It's a promise that when life flips upside down and crazy happens, you can trust that God is fighting for you and he's battling with you. And in the storm, he's right there with you. Maybe you need that today. Maybe you need that peace. Well, if you don't know Jesus, the first place to get it is by surrendering to him. God, I need you in my life because I need peace in the storm. Or maybe today you're a Christ follower and you need to access that peace by saying yes in obedience to God. Because I don't think the hardest part of Joseph's story was the moment he heard the news, I'm pregnant. I think the hardest part of Joseph's story was when he said yes to God's plan for his life. Because now he had to face the entire town where he lived, where he had a reputation, and he had to hear what they were going to say to him. Maybe things like this. Hey, Joseph, what's it like being with a woman who was with another man? Hey, Joseph, have you ever found that guy who slept with your girl? Hey, Joseph, I really know it's your kid. Just tell me the truth. I know you slept with Mary. Just, just be honest. Hey, Joseph, I, I, I know, I know, I know, Joseph. It's God's baby, right? Hey, Joseph, what's it like being with a woman who didn't want you first. You see, I think it was in those moments where Joseph experienced that peace, knowing what God called him to. And when the storm raged and the wind blew, he had peace, knowing this is what God wants for me. And he accessed that peace through his obedience, his commitment to God's plan for his life. So in just a moment, our bands are going to come and they're going to sing a song about peace. And I would just challenge you, if you need that peace, to sing this song, to listen to the words. It says, peace be still. Because when the storm roars, you know that God is much greater than any roar of any storm that you endure. Peace. Lord, thank you so much for that promise. That in the wake of the ups and downs of life, you promise us peace. God, I pray for the person who needs that today, that you give it to them. For the person who's shaken and is afraid and fearful, that you'd give them peace, knowing you're right there fighting with them. God, I, I know of a family that I have a relationship with that needs your peace right now. That is enduring a storm that I'd never want to walk through. And I pray that you'd give that family peace. In Jesus' name, amen.